Howdy folks, today we're going to find out how to create amazing headshots that sell no matter whether you're thinking of adding headshots as a side hustle or if you're planning to start a headshot photography business from scratch right after this. Welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve. We've spent literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time, giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. As always, I'm your host, Kirsten Nutz, and before we get into it, I've got one thing to ask of you. I've noticed that over 65% of our viewers on YouTube and listeners on audio are not subscribed to this channel. And you can really help us out by hitting that subscribe button. It'll help us get more amazing guests on the show. Just one click, it'll just take one second. Thank you so much. Now, without further ado, let's give it up for today's special guest, all the way from the magic city, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Hatcher photographer, photography speaker, and all round one of the nicest people in the Hatcher game. Give it up for Pam Stukenberg. Pam, how are you? Well, good morning, Kirsten, or good afternoon, your time. How are you? I'm very good. It is, it's evening here, but of course, um, you're in central time. So it's, what time is it where, where you are now? Um, it's a little after 11. Fantastic. We just had a chat before and you, you've been telling me it's actually, it's actually quite hot where you are in comparison to winter. A wonderful 72 degrees is the high for today. We love it. The great thing about Oklahoma is the summers are really long and the winters are short. And every so often you get a little summer burst in the middle of the winter. And it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Did you tell me that um, whenever anybody moves to Oklahoma, it's usually just because somebody else got them there? Oh, Oh, yes. Most people have followed a lady friend or followed a handsome man to Oklahoma. And I am uh, I'm one of those people as well. Although my husband, Bernie, is not originally from Oklahoma. But uh, after we got married, we moved here to be closer to my uh, my five stepchildren. So who are now all adults and living their own best lives. So it uh, Oklahoma is a great place to uh, to raise kids. And uh, although we've been in the news for a few various things lately, but uh, that's okay. Hmm. So Tulsa is, I mean, it's, it's a fairly, uh, it's a fairly sized city, I guess. And so from a headshot photography point of view, it, it makes perfect sense because I'm, I'm guessing the majority of your clients are either business people or actors. You know, um, it, it varies so much. Yes. Actors, um, especially with uh, the recent release of the uh, Killers of the Flower Moon that was filmed in Oklahoma, um, Tulsa King that was uh, filmed in Oklahoma. So quite the the acting. Uh, if you want your kids into acting, Oklahoma is a great place to do it. And uh, in Oklahoma City, there's also what's called uh, Prairie Surf Media. Um, there, it's they bought the Cox Business Center and it turned it into a giant soundstage. And some of uh, Kill the Flower Moons. Some of that was filmed there as well as Tulsa King and a ton of other episodes of overnight episodes. The reason I'm asking is because Tulsa mm -hmm. as, a, as a city seems to be popping up more and more regularly. I mean, you mentioned Tulsa King, for instance, big fan of that show. Uh, but again, it was set in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, so it, does that mean uh, over the last few years, has there been sort of an increase in actors? And how has that had an effect on your headshot photography business? Um, yes, it has an increase um, in actors coming or, or even people who are Oklahomans who have decided, I want to jump into this, um, especially, you know, with 
you know, the various, you know, people groups that are needed for um, the different productions that are happening. It's, we have, we're such a varied and diverse uh, population that there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities here for actors. Um, the, uh, the business aspect of it, um, Oklahoma actually, Tulsa, it's, we have the Tulsa International Airport and it got that term because back in the oil boom days, it was actually the largest and busiest airport in the world back in the in the oil boom days, which is a fun little fact that uh, you yeah. learn once you live here for a while. But but businesses, we have another um, thing called um, Tulsa Remote, which encourages people, entrepreneurs, to come in and start um, businesses here in Tulsa. There's an area of town where um, I have volunteered for the past 16 years, and where the building where I used to go starts the John 316 mission where I first started, that area was very sketchy. And they have just turned it and just rejuvenated the whole part of the city that used to just be buildings that would be great to photograph in um, if you want to do kind of the urban outdoor rundown building thing. But now they've created a space for music and I mean, the restaurants, you want some really great food, come to Oklahoma, as well as the music scene, the art scene. It's really a, a wonderful city to uh, that's, that you don't feel like you're in a massive city like Boston and New York. It is very, you know, it's walkable, and uh, but a lot of things going on. It's definitely one of Not those to places mid- on my, Yeah, it's definitely on my yeah. bucket list, you know, um, to, oh, for yes. sure. Especially since the Tulsa game. Yeah, fascinating show. Right. Um, so... We're obviously, we're talking about headshots today. Um, it's it, I live on the outskirts of London. London, obviously, is a massive metropolitan area, um, but I really live on the very outskirts. I mean, the outskirts of the outskirts, I would say. Um, okay. And so, really, you know, I would say where I am, it's more of a small town environment. Although we're connected to London, of course, and it's not far. It's like forty-five minutes, you know. Um, but the vast majority of my corporate clientele are really not from central London. They're really from, you know, the surrounding area. But what that goes to show is that headshots, no matter where you live, even if you live in a small town or, you know, if you live in a suburban area, um, headshots are really a viable thing, even just as a side hustle. They are. They are. And, you know, people is, and I think the the pandemic and people seeing themselves on Zoom calls where they didn't have a nice headshot to be filling in that what was would be a great space if they didn't have a, a nice photo or what the photo they had they weren't happy with or it had been taken, you know, two, three, five, you know, years ago and we're like, oh no, I need to update my headshot. And um, I have a, a home studio. I call it my studio suite. And I let people know they are coming to my residence when they are um, having their headshot taken because you know, we, I don't want them to have the perception that they're coming to a strip mall and then turn into a neighborhood and be like, whoa, who is this person? Where am I going? You know. So during my consult conversation with people, my clients, I let them know this information that um, they are coming to a, a studio in a residence and they, they've appreciated that uh, from the feedback they give me. Um, but you can do it, you know, here as well as 
you know, it's reasonable to rent. I have friends that have um, studios, uh, like a co-op studio where you can be a photographer and be a member of it and go shoot there um, with, you know, various, not just a headshot setup, but also if you're doing portraiture, boudoir, any other type of photography, it's it's a great space. So there's a few of those around here in Tulsa and Oklahoma City as well. And it's actually, that's an important point because I think, you know, often photographers may be thinking, well, you know, I can't do headshots because I need a studio and I don't have a studio and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, as as you prove, you can actually set up a studio set up in your own residence, in your house. I mean, actually, my situation is no different. You know, I shoot everything um, in my house. You know, it's just where I'm sitting now. I'm basically sitting yeah. in the middle. And I give you the watch. <laughs> um Literally behind me is my editing station, and on one side, um, that's my shooting space, and on the other side, it's actually just my living room. You know, so it's um, it's it's literally built into the house. The advantage is, is that when clients come over to my house, it's a really comfortable environment. You know, it's not a sterile studio environment. It's actually really quite comfortable right. because it just you know is it is my home. Um, my dog's a bit crazy. Let me. <laughs> But, Your dog's you know, adorable. Oh, he's nuts. Yeah, he's absolutely crazy. Um, he's in his soul. He's got a little house in the hallway that he likes to like, create type of a thing um, that he likes to hang out in. So he's in there. But now, um, but so you know, again, it makes it really makes headshots a viable option for somebody who just thinks like, oh, maybe I just add that to my portfolio and I just add that to the things that I do because actually, I can do that in my house. That being right. said, um. Of course, I know a lot of people who hire who would hire a studio to do headshots. My thought with that is always that's to me that's really only viable if if I did like a headshot day, you know, where I'd shoot mm-hmm. X amount of people. Sure. Otherwise, sure. it's just financially wouldn't be viable. Um, mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, and I always encourage my clients, um, even when I have corporate clients. Um, to come to the studio here and have their headshot taken here. While I will go on location, um, I charge quite a bit to go on location because I'm breaking down what you see behind me. I'm breaking this whole studio down, my last light background behind me. Everything is coming with me. So I'm to the point where it's like, I need somebody to uh, load up the car and help set things up. It's uh, And so to do all that, um, it's a tremendous amount of effort. So um, if they really want it, then sure, I'll do it. Um, however, it's, it's going to cost them some money to get me out there. Um, but here's what I found with um, having the corporate clients come to me is for one, whoever normally is like HR contact me about they want to have headshots taken. And I take from out of their hands a lot of the legwork where give me their contact information. I will email them, reach out to them, arrange a phone call with the person I'm doing the headshot for and go through the whole, you know, this is the best practices and, and you know, are you doing your own hair and makeup? If you aren't, well, I happen to have a salon and a makeup artist I work with and then I find out what my client's schedule is and connect with my makeup artist and my um, stylist and coordinate all those appointments for them. 
So it kind of like the, whoever the HR person or the corporate doesn't have to worry about that. The client doesn't have to worry about that. And then it's, if anything's happening, I'm like the liaison for these four different areas. And, uh, and so it's a great way to add another level of service to my clients. And then when they come here, of course, you know, it, it is, I agree with you, Kirsten. It's so, um, you can really make it just very hospitable and we have control over the temperature. We have control over the music. Um, there's so many other things that if someone is, is having a kind of a, a little rough go of it, getting into, um, kind of the space where they look confident and approachable. Sometimes if they need an adult beverage, I used to be a bartender. I can hook them up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yes. I think that's needed. That's that's often needed. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of these things. I, you know, um, when clients first come in, especially if they're new and they've never been here before, or they maybe they haven't had any really experience uh, in having their headshots taken or something. You know, I need to kind of chill them out a little bit. I've talked about this many times on this on this podcast. What I do is I usually, you know, we just sit down, we have a chat um, over a coffee or something, and mm-hmm. again, just this being my actual house and my living room. There you go. Um, it's. You know, it just, it's a lot more comfortable and it, you know, people ease into it. And that's, that's quite an important, um, I think it's quite an important part of it, you know, as yes. opposed to, as opposed to, you know, shooting in a, you know, in an office environment. And of course, right. you know, just, just like yourself, um, you know, when I, when I go to a company and I shoot headshots in their offices, it's a thing of like having to break everything down, logging all the gear over there, setting up, yeah. you know, and depending on what it is. Um, it's just too much to do for one person. So I very often have an assistant then, you know, and then, then of course that adds to the bill because you're then having to pay another person and so on and so forth. So then it becomes, it becomes a much bigger thing than it really needs to, needs to be. Although from a practicality point of view, of course, for a lot of uh, companies, especially if they have a number of employees that need headshots, it's actually easier because they don't have to send people to me. I just go there and take care of everything and that's it. Right. It is, um, but I've I have found that for for me personally in my business, if I am going to do an on location shoot, I schedule everybody on the half an hour. I don't do the short, you know, five ten minute headshot. While I can, I've done it before, but at this stage in my business, you know, really helping people to kind of just ease into and, and not be so freaked out by the fact that there's a camera in front of them. And plus, you know, you're fussing with their hair and you're making sure the collar's all the way it needs to be. And you're kind of like helping, you know, chip off those edges of any previous photo trauma that they've experienced, which is a very real thing that people not want to come because, uh, you know, it's, it's been terrible. Like the work has said, there's some banks here that hire me and, and they're like, well, I'm sending you um, these people and they send me the first five great no problem they come in here actually to the studio and uh, and then once we did those five they're like great and the HR is like now I'm going to send you the rest and which were the ones in, in our mind are like this ain't going to be easy honey <laughs> and you know, you know when people say you know oh I I hate having my picture taken I love hearing those words because I know what we're going to do together here in the studio is going to be, um, it's going to be, it's life-changing and they're going to feel more confident. And, and, you know, when I'm first taking their pictures, I'm like, I'm just dialing in my lighting. 
just stand there, just look at the camera. You don't have to do anything. Just look at the camera. And <laughs> I get some amazingly terrible pictures of them. It's truly mugshot material. <laughs> yeah. But what's great is because shooting tethered to my laptop, you know, then I get them now I start dialing them in and getting working on the, you know, what position is their best position, you know, then working on expression through just conversation we're having. So I say, it's break time. Come on around. Let's take a look at these together. And I start where it's the mugshot. And then as you go, of course, the images are going to get better because you're starting to work with them and pose them in a way that looks natural. And then you start working on expression. And so they see progress right away within the first few minutes of getting them in front of the camera. And that is such a confidence you know, boost for them as well as the lights look amazing. So they're like, wow, I, I the lighting, oh my gosh. It's like, oh yes. <laughs> and, uh, and then it's like, all right, now that we see you know, this side or that side, we're gonna turn it this way or that way and get back behind the camera, we're gonna take some more, then we take some more. And, uh, and then we, we do this process until we get, you know, a shot that's like, ooh, that's, that's close. That should be your moneymaker right there. You have more outfits, all right. Get in there, change into your outfit, which I have a, a private bathroom attached to my studio here, which is super convenient and uh, works out great. Because I tell my people, my ladies, bring your makeup. If you use a particular styling tool, bring that with you. Um, while I have, you know, the typical brushes, combs, hairspray, um, if there's a particular product that they use, well, bring it. And I can't tell you how many times I've like actually styled my client's hair for them. <laughs> They're like, my hair's not doing what I want it to do. I'm like, yes, that's typical picture day behavior. And it's like, come on in here. I got some skills. I'll help you out with that. So um, there's so many things as a headshot photographer that we can do here in the studio um, that when we're on location, well, you know, we can have some items there. It's not always as conducive to as when you're, you know, or convenient as when you're here in the studio. And from you know, from what you've just been saying, um, it just becomes clear that you know, if I think if you want to be successful at doing headshots, you really have to be a people person. You know, it's, oh, it helps. It's really, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really all about making somebody feel comfortable because, as you say, you know, people come through the door and the first thing they'll say is, oh, "I hate having my picture taken," and you're going to have to get through that or get past that, yeah. you know, and make somebody feel comfortable. And for me, it's always this, you know, my game or my goal, I should say is to create that transformation from I hate having a picture taken when they come in to right. them thinking, I've had a really great time. I really enjoyed that when they leave when they leave. And if if you can right. you know, if you can make that happen, if you can transform somebody's attitude, then then the shoot was successful, in my view. You know, I can great I can get great pictures. I know that. Because we've been doing it long enough. I mean that's not, you know, it's not necessarily difficult the technical aspect of it is not really that hard but we'll talk of course we'll talk about that in a second as well um but i think for me the real trick the real talent is when you can make somebody feel really comfortable and you know because that's when you really get to the good stuff you know the first the first few images are in the way i approach it i always think like well the first i don't know 20 shots are burners i don't even i'm not even going to look at them later on. I'm just going to use that time to make somebody feel 
comfortable with the process. Mm-hmm. So they get right. used to the lights flashing and me, mm-hmm. you know, yes. holding a massive I tell them, face. like, yes, I'm like, you're going to get used to my verbiage. All this is just you getting used to my verbiage, how I'm directing you. When I'm sticking my finger out and I'm having your nose while I'm laughing, you know, when I'm telling you to, yeah. to press your face towards my hand, you know, this is all. And as well as what the great thing about Shane Tether, too, is they think they're sticking their head out. They, they, when, but when they're smiling, they're going, then they look at them and say, like, oh, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> hey, let me just jump in real quick to tell you about the amazing sponsor of this episode, Platypod. Platypod offers innovative camera support systems designed to unleash your creativity. With their stable, versatile, and portable solutions, you can capture stunning shots like never before. And I'm not just saying that. As the host of the Camera Shake podcast, I can personally vouch for Platypod's incredible products. They've become an integral part of the show. In fact, I'm surrounded by various Platypod products holding up lights, cameras, microphones, and so on. It's really helped to transform the way I make the show and the way I shoot at home, in the studio, and on location. But don't just take my word for it. Explore Platypod's website at www.platypod.com to discover their range of products, including the Platypod Extreme, Platyball Tripod Heads, and the brand new handle, of course. Make sure to follow Platypod on Instagram and Facebook at Platypod Tripods for exclusive updates, tips, and giveaways. By choosing Platypod, you're not only investing in your photography, but you're also supporting the Camera Shake Photography Podcast. Thanks again to Platypod, our amazing sponsor. Platypod, where innovation never sleeps. I have these like these pre-prepared speeches um, that I use every time with a client, like every single time, you know I, there's my, my teachings about how the human head moves upon three axes, you know, and then I link that to hand gestures and then, you know, but they get it. Yeah. Um, and then it basically, you know, it allows me to, to literally move them without having to physically move them. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And the other thing is the thing about the gooseneck, you know, where you get to stick the head out. Um, and it's the important part about that, I always feel is, is you get to teach them how to move. But then you're going to have to allow them to see the result pretty much straight away. So what I tend to do is, you know, I teach them how how the posing thing works. Um, we then do a little bit of shooting. And then within a few minutes, I get them in front of the screen. And we'll just scan through the images that we've just taken. Just so they, um, they see and they understand what the effect of that was. And that takes a lot of the awkwardness away. Because, you know, the minute you tell somebody to do a turtleneck type of a thing, like, well, this is weird, you know. Uh, but then when they see the effect on the screen, they understand what the purpose is. And then they're really quite relaxed in in continuing to do it. You know, that's the yes. that's the thing for me always. Um, so so being a people person is super important. Now, <laughs> let's, let's assume, uh, let's assume that, you know, somebody's thinking, whoever's listening to this episode might be thinking, well, you know, I, I've been thinking about you know, adding um, adding headshots to my portfolio, or oh, I've tried it and it hasn't been very successful because I'm, maybe I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it or whatever. So we're going to go back right to the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to look at what somebody who's interested in, in doing headshots, uh, what they really need to do and what they need to work on. So from your expertise, for anybody wanting to get into doing headshots, what's the first thing you think that they should? Well, the first thing, and, and now this is where I started, um, 
I saw Peter Hurley on a Google Plus, Scott Kelby's Google Google Plus uh, platform, and it was like, who is this like photographer who it's not like watching paint dry and listen to him talk about photography. And he seems kind of fun. Who is this? Actually, what is he doing? And uh, and so he um, had a video out called It's All About the Jawline. And I started watching that. I'm like, well, this is interesting. Huh. And, and like, it makes sense. And, and Karen Minder in the, in the, the video, he's hilarious. And what Peter did in that video really was like, wow, this is something that helps people so much. And at that point, I wasn't doing headshot photography at all. I didn't even have a studio in the house at all. And so um, I had uh, I had overused and over a weekend hurt my elbow and could not pick up my camera. And Miles and I and Todd were like, okay, you know what? You need to park that on a tripod and not lift your camera because you can't. And we had met Peter um, the in February um, of that year, uh, 2013, I think. Yeah, 2013. And um, and this, I, it's an adorable story. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell you. I wanted to go to New York City for Valentine's Day one year, 2013. And my husband Bernie at the time traveled for a living, and I was like, "Baby, can I really kind of tag along on your travels and go to DC with you, where you're working? And then, can you take the day off, and we'll go to New York and have Valentine's Day in New York, have dinner, comedy club, something like that?" And uh, he was like, "You know, let me look at my travel. Let me see if I can make that work out." Well, he did. So on the train ride from DC to New York, I um, had emailed. Peter Hurley's info at peterhurley.com and said, hi, my husband Bernie and I are visiting from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I saw your video. It's all about the jawline, and I'd love to just meet you and shake your hand, and that's all. I hit send. I don't tell Bernie until after I hit send, and I was like, this is what I just did, and he says, babe, he's a very busy person. He's not going to be able to meet with us. <laughs> I was like, well, I figured typical last born here. The least he could say is no. That's always my, <laughs> if I'm thinking, of, should I ask the question? That's always my first go-to. And uh, I got an email back about oh, an hour later, self-assistant saying, um, on Thursday the 14th at is either 10 or 10.30, Peter can meet you at his studio. You would really like to do so. And I was like, Yes, I'm so glad I asked that question. This is fantastic. So we go, we meet Peter. He spends like 45 minutes with us talking about kind of like where I am in my photography. And this is in the studio when he had his Hasselblad there. His keto flows hadn't even come up with a flex gate or anything yet or switched over to Canon. And um, and so it was like really the early days uh, back when it was uh, H, uh, let's see, early pro... Uh, HP, no, PH2, Peter Hurley Pro 2 or something. That was before it became the Headshot Crew. And uh, and so that was February, and then it was that May when I hurt my elbow so bad I couldn't even pick up an 8-ounce glass of orange juice from this weekend shoot that I did. And so Bernie's like, I think you should just you know dial in on this whole Headshot thing. Park that camera. We'll turn the game room in here in our house into a studio, and you just go for it. And that was 10 years ago, and I've made a really nice business of it. And 
before I uh, I'd even become um, part of the H2 Pro, I would like send, no, like I would have my clients when they got here to the studio for their headshot, I would sit there and we would watch It's All About the Jawline together. (laughs) And I swear I've probably seen that about at least a couple dozen times, at least over the years. And um, and it's been so helpful. And then of course he came out with the squidge and that was another um, helpful way that I would, you know, have my clients. And now of course, you know, being into as long as I have been, I don't need to do that with my clients. I've honed those skills or that, that old squinching and jawline and all that. And I'm pretty versed at that now. So, but it's been, it's been really great though, really. Uh, and I, and I've niched down, I only do headshots. I do work with some authors, um, you know, actors, of course, who need more than just headshots. I will do that. Um, but primarily I would say between 85 and 90% of my business is headshots. Yes. It's, it's a really interesting thing to get into because I, um, I got into headshots, um, after I moved to the place where I'm, where I'm living now in the, the hamlet of Rickmansworth. I don't actually know whether it's a hamlet or not. It sounds good. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little. Um, but like I said, you know, like I said earlier, we we're right at the um at the outskirts of of London. And at the time my main clientele were international corporates. And so what I would do is I would shoot conferences. Um and so you know I'd go all over the place to shoot this conference here and another conference there and you know, and so I didn't really need to pay any attention to my surrounding. It really didn't matter where I lived because, you know, I'd have a client and they would have a, you know, a uh, a conference in Budapest, Hungary. Well, that's where I'd be for the next four days and then it goes somewhere else. So it really didn't matter where, where I lived. Um, and just before, I would say maybe a year or two before the pandemic, um, I thought, you know, actually... First of all, I'm a portrait photographer, so I love, I love portraiture. But I actually really like contemporary headshots because to me, it's like a contemporary form of portraiture. So I've always really liked them. And of course, I've, you know, I've come across um, Peter's work and, you know, I really like the look of that. And like yourself, you know, I came across some, some videos online and I kind of thought, oh, yeah, this is this is actually something I could do, you know. Um, and, um, and then... The other thing is, of course, where I live here, I'm surrounded by movie studios. So there's there's uh, Pinewood Studios, which is a huge um, Hollywood movie studio, which is tw- not even 20 minutes, 10 minutes away from me. Um, there's uh, Leafston, which is a huge Warner Brothers studio where they make things like the, all the Harry Potter movies and lots of lots of other Hollywood movies. And there's, there's, another, there's another two, uh, Apple is building a studio around here. It's, it's like, it's the British equivalent of, of Hollywood, I guess, you know. And so as nice. I thought, like, well, there's going to be lots of actors around here, you know, because it's just that corner of the, you know, of the, of the UK where that's happening. And so I was just, I was just getting into it. And then of course the, uh, the pandemic happened. Um, and, uh, and all of the conference works that I've been doing literally went away from one day to the next because the whole conference sector just shut down, you know, internationally. Um, mm. And at that point, I thought, okay, well, I'm really going to have to actually think about what I'm going to do in the future because, you know, just putting your entire business on this one leg <laughs> is yeah. dangerous because you don't know. I mean, never in a million years would I have thought that there'd be something like global pandemic that could wipe out yeah. our business. I mean, if anybody told me that before, I'd be like, yeah, you, 
you watch too many sci-fi movies, but <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you know, yeah, but it, but it happened, you know, mm-hmm. and who knows what's going to happen next. So I figured, like, okay, I, I better come up with a way that I can create different, like, columns, you know, different support mm-hmm. columns to my business, so that if one thing goes down the drain for whatever reason, I still have other things that I can potentially fall back on, you know. Um, and and that's really that's originally why I thought well actually headshots might be a really good idea so it started as a side hustle type of a thing and then really? just it just grew and grew um, so Peter's videos were really really helpful with that and of course his book as well there's a um, and I can't remember yes. how to know, is it the headshot I think um, uh, yes and then I also I have a, it's yeah so it's a really great book um, and then it's also uh, there's another photographer I came across named uh, Gary Hughes, who uh, Gary mm. focuses more on corporate uh, on corporate headshots, uh, and he very much so focuses on volume headshots. So way you know way you shoot yes. 20, 30, 40, 100. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and I kind of thought, well, that applies to me totally because that's usually what happens at a conference, for example, very often. Right. You know, where a company has the whole team mm-hmm. there. And so yes. you know, when I put the two together, I kind of figured, okay, well, this. This has legs, quite literally. You know, this is something that that can actually work. And it really worked. It worked really well for for my business. That's a sort of as a support sort of thing. Um, and you mentioned the the headshot crew. Uh, tell me a little bit about that and what that entails and what that actually is for those of our viewers. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, but the headshot crew, it is. Um, you sign up for it. Um, you go to headshotcrew.com and it is a community unlike any other photography community that I've come across. It's, it's one of the largest ones. Um, I think we're up to, I want to say 20,000, I don't look lately, but all over the globe. So, which is great when you are shooting a conference. Um, I've had people say, gosh, I wish that, you know, I could, you know, we're here for this conference. I wish my whole office could have this. Well, you can put in your zip code and that's going to pull up who the other headshot crew photographers are in your area. And so it's um, really, a, you know, I've gotten referrals from people who have found me through the headshot crew. I, when I was, um, I think the first, one of the first like conference set, I know, headshot sessions that I did um, on my own, by myself, not like assisting anybody, a company out of LA had, um, seen headshots being taken at a conference you're like oh great we're a software company we're coming to tulsa oklahoma we want to offer headshots in our booth because as a software company they're like what do we have really to offer nothing actually tangible so they hired me to do headshots in here in tulsa and they found me through headshot.com which is was great so i'll tell you know, anybody at conferences we'll just go back and put in the zip code and you're gonna you'll find one and uh and so that was really a a very interesting um, process because with the conference photography part like i didn't at that point deliver the image immediately to the person right this is a little insider information if you think about doing conferences is I delivered the, you know, soft edit directly back to my client because in order for people to have their headshot taken, they had to fill out their information, you know, contact information, employer, email, cell phone number. 
And so I provided that along with their headshot. And then my software customer was able to get a second touch point with the person who visited their booth. And I encouraged them to come up with a hashtag, you know, encourage them to use their hashtag when they post their headshot on LinkedIn. Ask them, hey, would you mind making a comment on when I was at the, you know, this conference and visited the booth of this customer, you know, this is what I got. So it's actually, you know, and people are going to talk about their headshot. They like it. It's a great picture of them. So where did you get that? Well, I got that at so-and-so's booth when I was at their conference. And so it's been, you know, to be able to do that for an employer as opposed to, okay, you visited the booth, boom. Here's your here's your headshot, and it doesn't give the client who brought you in to do that another touch point to revisit with that customer. So that's um, something that I found my my class customers that bring me on for uh, the on location shoots. They really appreciate that. And it's, that's a, that's a really interesting point. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the sort of marketing aspect of of headshot photography in a minute. So if, if that's stuff that you're interested in, if you're listening or watching, then stay tuned because we're going to get into all of that. Um, a little bit later on uh, before we're going to get into the actual how-to in a second as in like how do you actually shoot headshots what do you need what kind of how do you light it and all that kind of stuff uh, but there's also going to be a little conversation about marketing specifically a little bit later so stay tuned for that um, so but we're, we're still at the beginning phase so you get to learn how to how to actually do headshots and how the whole thing works um, and again there's, there's a number of really great uh, books about uh, Gary Hughes wrote a great book about headshots. Fantastic. Uh, Peter Hurley's book is phenomenal. Uh, but that gives you a really good basic idea of what it is that you're trying to achieve. Now, I say that because there's one caveat there. Um, sometimes your market may be slightly different from, let's say, the New York City market, for example. And uh, I'll give you an example. So there is something called so the Peter Hurley style headshot, uh, over here we call it the New York City headshot. Um, <laughs> you know, That's appropriate. <laughs> it's appropriate, yeah, right. Um, but there's also something uh, called a London headshot, which is a, which is a different style. And um, so where that where that comes from, it, it comes from the fact that in the UK, especially in London, um, properties are quite a bit smaller than your average uh, property in in the United States, for example, or in Canada. And that's just because, you know, these a lot of these buildings are really old. They're several hundred years old, pre-Victorian times. And they just they were just built differently. And so all the rooms are really small. And so, you know, if you I don't know, if, if you were to like compare an average um like inner London apartment, um, you'd you'd find all the rooms really, really tiny. Um to, I mean, that's even the smallest bedroom uh, is usually called a box room because that's basically what it is. It's just a tiny box. <laughs> it's unworthy. <laughs> Um, even I mean, even, even for me, you know, I grew up in the south of Germany. When I moved to London, like that's the first thing I thought I was like, man, everything's really tiny here. Like, what is this? But you know, <laughs> but that's it is how it is. And the other thing is, of course, property prices in London are astronomical, just like they would be, you know, in, in New York City, for example. Uh, but but property prices here are through the roof. So a lot of photographers, especially when they first start out, cannot afford to have a studio. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of people live in apartments, for example, they also don't have a backyard where they could maybe build a studio or something like that. So mm-hmm. traditionally, um, people would do headshots outdoors. So they'd find an outdoors location um, oh, okay. and they would do headshots. And what I, what I did was it sort of created a particular look 
you know, like on location look. And sometimes you have, you know, like a city scene behind you, um, you know, and sometimes it'd be more like, I don't know, under a bridge, you know, walls, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's a very specific look. And what you find now is the interesting thing is, it's like now a lot of, a lot of the time, photographers try to, um, try to, to create, to recreate that look in the studio. So a lot of the time when I look at mm. headshot photographers and I look at their work, it's like they're setting up lights and stuff in the background to make it look like it's outside of it. So yes. Go, okay. <laughs> you know. But it's just a, you know, so, so whatever your market is, mm-hmm. you're going to have to, you can do one or two things. I mean, either you can basically go with that and create something that goes along those lines, but maybe it's a little bit different. So that is kind of unique. Or you can go in and basically say, well, I'm not doing that. I'm doing something that's completely different. And for instance, I mean, Ivan Weiss is a really good example. Um, yes, Ivan. He's great. Yeah, Ivan is phenomenal. Um, you know Ivan. I've, I've known Ivan for, for quite a long time. Um, he's been on the on the podcast a number of times. So if anybody's you know watching or listening, check out um, check out those episodes. In fact, during the pandemic, um, Nick and I did a, um, a, a portrait, a selfie competition with him um, where... It was in the middle of the of the uh, of the pandemic. It was lockdown and everything, and we you know we thought like, oh man, we got to do something. What about what about we call up Ivan and we say like, well, let's do a selfie competition. So we, we basically take <laughs> selfies and then you know we compare them, we talk about them and stuff like that. That was super super interesting. So that's a fun episode. I'll put the link yes. in if I remember. If I remember. Um, but so Ivan has a style that's very unique and very personal, um, and of course he lives literally in the center of London. So that's a really good example for somebody who injects his own personality to do something that's completely different from what just about anybody else around does. And he does mm-hmm. it very, very successfully. So you know, yeah. that's a consideration when you're when you're thinking about getting into into headshots. You know, am I going to go with the mass market or am I going to try and do something that's that's more unique? Mm-hmm. Both of these options come with their own difficulties and problems, but you know, it's a decision that you've got to make, I think, in the beginning. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you from firsthand experience that um, investing in, you know, the the membership of being part of the Headshot crew, which is very reasonable, it is the best money I have ever spent on photography because, I mean, I'm self-taught with the exception of taking a few classes here and there. And um, at you know community college or other local camera stores, and so becoming part of the headshot crew, what I have learned through that, I mean they they teach you everything. I mean Peter actually teaches you everything, and is because you think he's only one person, he can only do so many headshots in a day, and he wanted other people to be able to get good headshots too, and so he's like, I'm going to create this community in this space where I can teach people how to do good, good head, great, actually not good, great headshots, and um, and so there's two levels when you first become a member, you're a protege, and then you work your way up to becoming an associate level, which I'm in the associate level, and that's where there's like 15 images that Peter himself has reviewed or one of his you know, top mentor people, mostly Peter's the one who does the reviewing and every image has to like, you gotta, you gotta hit every single mark and that uh, it's a grueling process. And, uh, you know, I didn't get it on the first time. I, I might, maybe I had five reviews maybe. 
I only cried once during one of the reviews. I'm just really upset. I, <laughs> and, and when you set your expectation a little too high, then it's like, shoot, he's right, you know? And that's the thing is he is very much a champion for um, or a cheerleader for you. He wants you to succeed. And when going through the review, review process, knowing that, okay, you know what, no, I, I need to train my eye better on color. I, my lighting, you know, wasn't right. And so, you know, going through the, the headshot crew, it's, it really, it helps you um, to kind of really hone the skills. And there's videos on there that you have access to about the whole, you know, getting people to, you know, for, you know, expression, working with people, you know, lighting, editing, the, the whole thing. And as well as I've made some amazing friendships through the crew. I, I was going to a Formula One race in Austin, Texas, and after I was in the headshot crew for a couple of years, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna like put in Austin, Texas, and find a photographer under under you know headshotcrew.com and see who shows up. Well, this name popped up, Susan Colbert, and I was like, oh wow, she seems cool. So I messaged her through Headshot Crew, like, I'm coming to Texas for the Formula One race. Hey, you're in Austin. Are you anywhere close? And could we do lunch? And so we got together for lunch, and she's a delightful person. And then one of my friends, I didn't realize, relocated to Austin, and she's like, Pam, I see on your social media that you're in Austin. Did you bring your camera? I need a headshot. Will you do a headshot? And I was like, I'm here for the rights. I'm not here for <laughs> to do headshots. And so when I was uh, talking to Suzanne, Suzanne's like, I'm in a studio in my house. She's like, I would love to see you shoot. Come on over and bring them bring over. So my friend and her daughter came over and we did headshots for them in Suzanne's studio while I was down there for the Formula One race. And it was just such, it was an absolute blast. And there's one of my other dearest friends who became my mentor, Chase Winford. She's in Kansas City. And, you know, she has been just an absolutely wonderful, you know, friend and mentor and really helped me get to the point where like, all right, I'm ready to do another review with Peter and see if I can get to this associate level point. And one of the benefits of getting to that associate level is there's a mind shift. You, you look at and yourself differently once you've achieved that, that point. But if there's a balance though, because you don't want your identity to be based on whether or not I am a headshot photographer or whether or not I'm associate level. I'm, you know, it's like headshots is a sliver of my life. It's just a part of who Pam Stukelborg is. And I just happen to, I love doing it. <laughs> and, and so I encourage people that if you, you know, if you go, if you go check this out, go this route to know that this is something that's a tool to help you grow, you know, something that you could turn into a full-time business of all you do, or it could be a side hustle or it could be a part of your photography business, but it's a, a great way um, with the things that you learn through the headshot crew, anybody who has a face, these techniques work. If you can make your bride look more beautiful because you know how to tell her to hold her head or stick her head out like a chicken 
employee besides posing her body, the husband, if you can let them know if you laugh during, you know what, you're having a great time. Absolutely. But, but make sure you hold that pose and get that jar out there so that we capture, you know, the most beautiful and attractive picture of you seniors, you know, high school seniors. I mean, seniors as an elderly seniors, these things that you learn through um, headshot photography, they are applicable to anybody who has a face in any photography. Exactly. That's that's exactly what I've found. It's, um, it's been so useful, uh, you know, just generally for portraiture, regardless as to whether you end up, you know, creating commercial headshots or, you know, or you just creating portraits in general. Right. Uh, but it's definitely, it's, it's such a useful skill. And the the thing that I've heard time and time and time again, you know, from obviously from yourself and uh, previous guests who've also been part of the uh, the Headshot crew, is that it's, it's such a great source for learning. Because, um, you know, I've learned, you know, over time that communicating and hanging out with other photographers is, is an extremely powerful way to get better yourself. You know, and I know this, like from my past life as a musician, for example, um, yeah. you know, I know that when I was a kid, for example, my dad one time said to me, uh, because, you know, it was like, it's the thing when I turned about maybe 13 or 14, I ended up playing with people who were much older than myself because I could play the guitar fairly well. And then there were like guys who were my dad's age or whatever. They've been doing it for decades. Uh, and I started playing with, with those guys. And I remember my dad saying to me, like, look, you always want to surround yourself with people who are better than yourself. Because what it does is it pushes you on and it makes you get better faster. You know, yes. if you're the best player in your band, you know, you don't really, you don't know where to go, basically. Um, and so just like that was true in music, and it absolutely was, because that's enti- that's completely my experience. It's really, you know, playing in a band where everybody is like, you know, multiple steps ahead of you, you have to pull your socks up, as we say. You know, you got to... <laughs> Go after your socks up. Yeah, if you wear socks. <laughs> if you wear socks. <laughs> in the UK, you better wear socks because it's freaking freezing most of the time. True. But um, <laughs> but you know, it's one of these things. So you you, you better uh, get on with it because because otherwise you're not going to be able to keep up. You know, and that's the thing. It's it's a great tool. And I found this in photography. Actually, um, I really found that to be true. Also, you know, whether you're um, you know, whether you have a chance to join something like the Headshot Crew or over here in the UK, we have the Society. And I can't remember exactly what it's called. The Society for Portrait Photographers or something like that. I'll find out what it is exactly and I'll put in the I'll put in the, the description. But again, it's a great um you know, it's a great opportunity to join you know, a group of people who are who are doing the same thing and guaranteed you're gonna find you're gonna find people who've got a lot of experience in this particular field and you can benefit from that. Um mm-hmm. and you know, even yeah. even just even if you just get into photography, joining a camera club. Or a photo, you know, photography club. It's a really great move. I found that when I moved to this area, and I really had never been a, a member of a photography club ever before. But when I moved to this area here and I got married, I didn't know anybody else around here. My wife said to me, "I think you should, uh, you should join a camera club because then you can hang out with other nerds like like." You. <laughs> okay, we're not nerds. Know. Yeah, I, was, you know, I remember thinking like, I don't know if that's is that an insult or is that something to that? So I was thinking about it. I'm thinking, no, you know what? There might be there might just be something to that because, um, you know what I found is I joined I joined a local camera club, um, in the 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 town of Watford, if anybody wants to know, which is just 
which is by next town here. Um, and I've met a lot of people, bearing in mind that the average age in a, in a, in a typical camera club is quite high. So, you know, there are a lot of people in there who would have uh, been involved in photography for decades and decades and decades. And I would have people in there who've been shooting for 50 years or so. But you know what that does yeah. is, in that room is so much, so many years and decades of experience that regardless of what you want to learn or what you're interested in, there's going to be somebody in that room who knows exactly what you want to know. And it's a, it's a phenomenal opportunity to actually tap into that knowledge and learn and get better. Um, and I freely admit that I am not the world's greatest landscape photographer. I'm really not a suck at landscape. <laughs> You know, um, and, and the, the, the expressions, you just cannot get an expression out of landscape. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Product photography. <laughs> These data products never laugh at my jokes. It's terrible. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. They just sit there. They don't do anything. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, things like, you know, um, branches of photography that I really never had anything to do with, like macro photography is another good example, you know, that sort of thing. Um, there's there's got to be somebody in that, in that room that knows everything there is to know about macro photography. Film photography is another thing, you know. Although I'm absolutely old enough to uh, to have experienced film photography, and I did because my dad was doing it at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I started there. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I personally, I don't have any experience with film photography, yet I'm absolutely fascinated by it. And I know that if there's anything I want to know about film photography, I know a whole bunch of people in my local camera club who would have done that literally since... I was going to say since the right. 1800s, but probably that's, that's not fair. Yeah, let's go back pretty far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I'd say yeah. the 1900s, but, early yeah, 1900s. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, so that's a, it's a really good thing to basically put yourself in a situation where you surround yourself with people who know all the stuff that you need to know in order to succeed at that particular thing, headshot photography being one example. And, you know, finding um, finding an organization like, the headshot crew, um, things like that can only be beneficial. So, right, let's talk about, let's talk about gear for a minute. Let's change the gear. Let's talk about gear. Because that's the thing. So, so let's say, you know, we've decided headshot photography is something that we want to do. We're not entirely sure how we do it. Um, but now we need to know, okay, well, what kind of gear would I, would I need to get started? In headshot photography, do you really need a full studio setup, or can you get started with maybe a much smaller setup? Oh, sure. You can start with speed lights. Um, you can start with a window light. That's where it all all began way back when with with Peter. But um, I find that I really I love. I have the two one by three soft boxes and one one by two soft box at the bottom, and um, and so we've got that kind of like that that wonky triangle type uh, setup for the lighting but you can do that with speed lights and and soft boxes as well um i find that i i like having you know the softbox really the, the softbox helps disperse the light as opposed to you know, three speed lights that are just hitting your person real hard um having that uh that is helpful do you need a bottom light no have i used a reflector before back when i only had two lights Absolutely. I had a reflector that was right on the, the bottom that I would use for a little extra bounce there. And because for, you know, I encourage anybody to don't go into debt 
to do this. Use use the equipment that you've got. You can figure it out and oh, and then earn some money with your headshots and then go buy gear. And um, although uh, I know that Bedford Camera Video has a zero year finance. So if you do like, I want that camera, I need that lighting, uh, you can, can get some, there are some good deals out there. Um, but, uh, but I encourage you to use, you know, use what you have. But if you can get to a point where, you know, my camera's on a tripod so that my camera heights are, are you know, pretty consistent. And uh, with the exception of if somebody's tall, like I had a guy six foot 10 in here. I took my lights, light softbox or not soft uh, highlighter background, and I put posing boxes underneath it to raise my background up higher so I could accommodate the top of this guy's noggin. It was it was crazy, but it, it totally worked. Um, and uh, I have the Manfrotto um, columns with so you have the trigger that you're able to just slide the two the two lights. Actually, I'll slide back here. You can just slide them up and down. Um, it makes it super, super convenient here. And then I have my third light below. I have my tether table, so I put my laptop over there. And then I've got my camera from a tripod behind me. And uh, right now I'm shooting with the R6. And uh, it's probably time to uh, time to update that uh, that camera. I've had it for a couple of few years, though, uh, when it shortly came out after. And I went with the R6 instead of the R5 because... In the studio, I didn't feel like I needed all of those pixels, and it suited my needs. So now, can you do this with a, a camera that uh, isn't a mirrorless camera? Yeah, I started out doing headshots on a Canon 10D, and then I went up to the Canon 7D. That was before they came out with the 7D Mark II, and I'm like, can you get a little more creative with your names? <laughs> those <laughs> yeah. cameras. <laughs> yeah, but that's, you know, I shot headshots with, I shot, I shot everything with a D, with an Nikon D750 for 10 years, you know, roughly, okay. yeah, nine yeah, nine or 10 years. Um, I shot lots of stuff with that thing. Um, I shot billboard campaigns with that thing, you know, and nice. the amount of times people tell you, hey, you need at least 50 megapixels to shoot a billboard. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Yeah. To be honest with you, I mean, I've, I've been shooting 24 megapixel sensors for at least, yeah, maybe the last 12 years or something. I've never had any issues with that yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and and don't you think that it really is it's that genuine expression that you get from your clients and when you capture that moment and when they see it they're like oh or when they tell you i showed this to my daughter and my daughter's like jack that's the best picture i've ever seen of you it's like that is such a compliment i love hearing that or when people say that looks just like you and it's like yes that's what we're going for. And especially nowadays, we aren't meeting people face-to-face. -face. We're looking at, you know, our phone. We're seeing a little small, you know, caption of a person on a phone. We're not there in person. And that thumbnail is so small. And that's why you got to nail the expression and, and be able to feel like you genuinely connect with that person because otherwise... If it's a deer in the headlights or if it's a freaked out picture, people are going to see that. And and it even boils down to question as, like, what's their job? Like, what's your job title? And if the person's job title is an accountant or, you know, in finance or if the person's a real estate agent or if the person's a counselor or a banker, you know, it's like the banker. 
they better look trustworthy in their headshot. Because if they don't, if they look like they're a shark, that is not going to fly. However, if somebody's a real estate agent, they need to look like they're someone who you would not be afraid to go and be alone in a house with. That's super important. They've got to look very, very approachable and honest. And, uh, you know, as, as well as well, so does the accountant too. But anyway, when, when people are having a moment where they look like they're having a genuine expression, that comes across. Yeah. And nobody's ever asked like, oh, what camera do you shoot that on? You know, oh, like that was that the gear issue there is, you know, it's, it's almost like a non-issue. Um, but also, you know, I think for the first four, for the first four years of, um, of running my headshot business, I used to use speed lights for the whole thing mm-hmm. for really for two reasons. You know, I started using speed lights because I just had them, you know, I had them lying around. And so I think I bought one extra speed light, which was like a relatively inexpensive Yonuo speed light. So, so that I had three, I think I had two originally. And then I figured at one point I figured, oh, you know, it might make sense to have a third light. So I bought another uh, relatively inexpensive uh, Yonuo uh, speed light. And, and then I used these three speed lights for, I call them the, the, the three amigos is what I used to call them. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I used it for at least four or five years. Um, to shoot all sorts of different headshot sessions, individual sessions, a volume shoots. I did tons of volume shoots with that. I used to shoot like 40, 50 people on one on one lot of batteries, you know? And actually then all you got to do is flip out the batteries, you know, change them over oh. and and you're good to go again. I've never had a bulb go, you know, I've never had a flash head go, none of that. So it's it's worked really, really well. There are some some downsides to it and actually battery life is actually a downside because uh, there will be a point where the batteries start to kind of, you know, go a little bit slow. And then, then wow. um, the, the, what do you call it, the, the reset time of the flash is just, it takes mm-hmm. longer. You can miss that moment. Yeah, the recycle time it takes longer and then uh, they might start to misfire or one of the three might misfire because it recycles longer than the others because the, you know, the batteries get worn out and everything. So that is a, that is a real issue. And of course, um, days for me, there was a point where I was like, okay, well, I'm pretty much done with that. I need to invest into some different, you know, studio jobs. But, mm-hmm. um, but you can really only do that. And this is the business side of it, of course. You can really only do that once your business really allows you to put that money back into the business. At the very beginning, you know, if you, when you're just starting out, that's most likely not the case. So I'd always say that be very wary of dropping a lot of money into buying new gear when really you don't need it. Like for instance, mm-hmm. you were talking about uh, strip boxes earlier, soft boxes earlier, you know, um, you can start out, you don't even need a reflector, you know, um, you can start out with a with white poster board, you know, mm-hmm. if that's because yeah. you've got, absolutely, 100%. People have been using that stuff for centuries. Um, the same with like, with backdrops. Do you need a hand painted canvas backdrop? No, you absolutely do not need to have painted canvas backdrop. All you need is a roll of paper, you know, and and off you go. And that's like, you know, 30 bucks or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. so really, or oh, actually I have a friend that's here. What, what she does, brilliant. Um, she goes to like a, a place called Hobbycraft, which is like, you know, arts and crafts, like an arts and crafts store, basically. Yeah, it's the Hobby, Hobby Lobby here in the States. Yeah. And so she buys a colored cardboard and... Hmm. She uses that. I mean, it's just about the right size for a headshot, you know. Uh, and then if that's like, if that's a bit missing, she'll just Photoshop it in, no problem. 
But you know that way, these things are like, what's that in 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 US money for pretty, like fifty cents maybe seventy five cents per sheet something like that. So you can go in there buy all the colors for under mm-hmm. a tenner, you know, and and that's yeah. an, and it's you can do these things, and yes. you don't really need a lot of fear. Yeah, um, they, this is a, a, a background hack or like a B flat hack. Um, if you go to a sign store and they have four by eight sheets of um, signage that are solid colors and there's black, there's white, there's yellow, there's orange, there's pink, there's red. And um, like I have them for for a while there, I was like bringing in a V flat on either side of the headshot. And yeah, you go through, it's funny, with that, just, you kind of go through phases where you do different things. So it's the white background. And then now I'm like totally the gray background. I love the gray background. I need to update my website and get my gray background people on there. <laughs> but this four by eight sheet, what you can do is have the sign company score it on the back and it will fold and stand on its own and because it's plastic it's it's very portable it's you know very usable standing on its own it's not like the cardboard ones so uh, and i think it's like 15 dollars a sheet yeah these these things are fantastic <coughs> sorry i got a little that's all right so my you know my secrets my secret uh, background background and reflector hacks are always always poster board. You know, white poster board and black poster board. I got tons of that stuff. In fact, there's a whole stack over there, all different sizes that I've cut them to. You know, um, I use black poster board to cover a skylight that I have in the roof that I need to cover up when it's sunny, and stuff like that. That stuff is beautiful. In fact, um, I use tons of black poster board as flags. Uh, when I create videos for Platypod. For those of you who really are new to this podcast, um, you know, head over to uh, Platypod's YouTube channel and you'll, you'll find some videos of me teaching certain photography techniques, mainly to do with how to shoot relatively small objects. I need to get one of those. Oh, yeah, scale model cars and stuff. But, um, you know, as much as, as uh, we think about lighting things, uh, of course, we always think we also always think about how to prevent light from getting somewhere, and that's what we use flags for. And black poster board is like the most beautiful thing ever invented um, for flags because that stuff is phenomenal. And um, again, just from a purely talking headshots, from a practical point of view, um, so I shoot obviously in my house as I mentioned earlier, um, but my space where I shoot is relatively small, and all the walls and the ceiling are painted white. Which can be advantageous because I don't actually need a, refl- uh, a reflector on the side because I've got a white wall there, which does that job for me. Brilliant. But when I'm trying to go for the slightly more dramatic look and I want to create deeper shadows and stuff like that, I need to prevent that white wall from reflecting the light back in. So I use black poster board to create flags to basically yeah. deepen the shadows. And it's you know so simple. It virtually costs almost nothing, that stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so <laughs> flexible. And again, it just goes to show, you know, do you have to pay tons of money for actual photographic flags? No, you really yeah. don't. Black poster board. That's the tip. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. I was at a shooting at a, a, a customer who brings me out for their annual conference. And this room that we were in 
it had these the canned lights for the ceiling and where I had to have my backdrop there was a canned light bearing right down I'm like oh I can't have this this is not good and so I took gaffer's tape and a round paper plate and took one of my light stands and rested it on it and I raised it up and I stuck it right to the ceiling to cover up that light so it wasn't bearing down on my on the clients heads and uh, but then I was not quite tall enough to get it off and I found a, a tall security person that came over and stood on a chair and and that yeah gaffer tape is gaffer tape is another another beautiful invention I always say like you know the, the combination of poster board and gaffer tape it it's it allows you all the flexibility you ever need so mm-hmm. sure to start out with speed lights uh, are a really great choice. Um, things like, you know, poster board as reflectors is a really good choice. Although I do highly recommend at some point investing into like maybe a five bay reflector because they actually do give you a lot of flexibility and they're very portable and they pack away really small. Uh, and yeah. they don't break the bank either. That's the kind of stuff I, if I was starting out today, that is the kind of stuff I would spend money on. I wouldn't really go for, you know, if you have a decent camera that does the trick, Absolutely. Just use that. Um, we'll talk a little bit about lenses in a second. Um, but before we get that, just one final thing on, on lights. So once you're at the point where you're thinking, okay, well, you know, it, I might be at the point where I, you know, I invest into some studio lights. Uh, what would your recommendation be? What, what sort of uh, studio lights are you using at the moment? Um, I use the Westcott FJ400s and I love them. They are wireless. I have a love-hate relationship with wires. My dad's a master electrician. I have a brother, master electrician. Wires have been in my life all my life. And I try to keep them high and tight, <laughs> out of the way. And when um, when I got the FJ400s, it was just like game changer, really. I'd had a, a different um, set of lights. I think it was ProMaster. They don't even make them anymore. Um, and, but when I upgrade to these, it really the the trigger system that they have um, that goes on your camera. You can adjust the lights from your camera. You don't have to go down, go to it, and hit all the buttons. It's really easy to update the software um, with these lights, and they're they're a great workhorse. I, I and you can take them anywhere. It really is. They're I just I can't I can't rave enough about them. I really really am happy with them. And the the back to the softboxes that they're Westcott softboxes also. But this design, I, I mean, anybody out there who's ever tried to get those wires bent to get those softboxes built, they can cause you to lose your mind. <laughs> and these here, it's like an umbrella. You you pull back the, the white scrim and then choo, there you go. It's, it's It folds up and it goes into like this neat little bag. It's very portable. So I, let's cut, they've got, uh, they got a bead on this. And they are, the lights are not crazy expensive. You can get a set of these lights. And, and for me personally, I like to, I'd rather go without than get something that's kind of like, you know, well, this is kind of, it'll do. I'd rather save my money and then get what I really want to get and, and invest in that. And in uh, those lights, they're they're well worth it. Westcott is absolutely it's a it's a fantastic brand to invest in because it doesn't actually uh, break the band at the bank. And you know, mm-hmm. as far as bang for the buck is concerned, they are phenomenal lights. In fact, um, I tried out uh, the, the FJ four hundred um, on my recent trip to Norway because uh, David Bergman brought one of them 
uh, over with him. Oh. We did some uh, we did some shots uh, with an FJ four hundred. Beautiful light. Um, it very much reminds me of uh, the Godox lights that I use. Again, very similar, very very similar brand. Um, same, you know, it's, it's the same kind of price point. Um, these are lights that are, you know, they're sturdy, they're reliable, um, and and absolutely a, a great choice uh, for if you're planning on getting into headshots, you know, and, and taking that step, maybe that first step into studio lighting. There's absolutely no need, no matter what other YouTubers might tell you, there's absolutely no need to, you know, to to drop a ton of money or even sell a child in order to <laughs> afford pro photos or brown colors or something like that, you know, no need for that at all. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I've been shooting Godox for a little while now. I absolutely love those lights. Yeah. Um, they're so super reliable. And maybe you heard it here first, but Godox are bringing out a brand new um, trigger for their lights, which is mm-hmm. touch screen and it's really, really fancy. Nice. Now it's coming out uh, in a few weeks, I've been told. Oh, yeah, four, nice. right, five weeks from now. Um, you'll definitely see a thorough review of that trigger right. um, here on the Camera Shake. Um, YouTube channel. That's great. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so so that's kind of that's where I would um, that's what I would aim at. There are a number of other brands available, um, but as far as you know, your experience concerned, my experience concerned, you know, Westcott, Godox, these are really great yeah. brands to go for. Um, really you also got to think like you know, I mean, if you're doing if you're doing headshots as a side hustle, you know, you want to actually make some money with that. Like if you right. if you spend all your money and yeah. more on like buying new gear, then yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. anyway. Right. Okay. So let's talk lenses. Um, sure. What do you what do you shoot with normally? I shoot with the eighty five millimeter prime. Uh, I'm a Canon shooter, as I said earlier. Yeah, and uh, the eighty five millimeter prime. So this was so interesting. I was shooting before with my um, uh, Canon five D Mark IV. And I had an 85 millimeter lens and I didn't know kind of what I had because <laughs> when I went mirrorless with the R6 and I decided to invest in the 85 millimeter and that's the thing camera with camera bodies, you know, the technology is going to be changing, changing, changing. Um, new ones are coming out whatnot, but with the lens, the lenses are where, where it's really, it's worth waiting and investing in what they we all know as good glass. Um, I've only been shooting digital for see. Uh, I married my nephew's wedding photographer, and he was a Canon shooter, and that was 17, 18 years ago. And the only changes I've seen with lenses since starting eighteen years ago, the first one was image stabilization, and then. Um, the second one was when uh, they weren't mirrorless and then they came out with the new RF mirrorless uh, lenses. That's not a whole big range of changing. You know, there may be more. There might be some people that, oh, well, this happened to that other lenses. Well, that's fine. These are the two that I've noticed that have been the ones that have impacted my life. And so with the 85 millimeter, it's worth it, um, you know, investing in that good glass. And I just... So back to my surprise from the one I had with my 5D Mark IV. This 85 millimeter lens that showed up, <laughs> the, the the size of it is massive. I mean, here, I'm grab it. 
so of course I've got the yeah I, I have my red lens on here and lens hood it's I like using a lens hood even in the studio because you know if you drop it which I don't because I keep it on my camera but this thing is a beast oh, yeah. and the 85 millimeter Canon lens I had before it's like this big it's a it's a little it's like a baby 85 millimeter and I was I normally shot with the 70 to 200 um and then when I was gonna be switching over and I had ordered this 85 millimeter prime lens I thought you know what I want to start getting used to shooting headshots with the 85 millimeter prime lens so I was using my little baby one and uh and it, it worked very good the pictures came out super but yeah. that lens it's gorgeous and this it's um it's, it's like you said you know there are different types of lenses of course uh, i would say personally i love the 85 too um and what happens is um, i i would start out a headshot session uh, on a 70 to 200 on the long end you know, anywhere between 120 to 200 and something like that um but what I've found is is that the images that the client picks at the end are virtually 99 times out of 100 are going to be shot with the 85. And so what I've started to do is if I have somebody who's really very nervous, I will start out with the 70 to 200 just because there's more distance between me and the subject. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we're getting to know each other, as we're starting to have a conversation, you know, it's easier if I'm not right in their face, basically. So... So we'll shoot for a little bit, and then at some point, once I feel that they're relaxing a little bit, I'll switch over to the eighty-five, which now means that, of course, because of the focal length, I'm now much closer to the to the client. Um, right. But at that point, the the client is ready for that. You know, it, he's not going to be he or she is not going to be freaked out about the fact that I'm right yeah. in front of him now. You know, so right. it's just it's sort of almost like a little psychological trick to mm -hmm. make somebody feel more comfortable. But I know that they're most likely not going to pick any of the shots for the 70 to 200, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've I've got to to really love the 85 as well. And what you mentioned about this, the baby 85, so typically you would have, traditionally you would have, you know, uh, an 85 1.8 and then maybe an 85 1.4. And if you're a mirrorless shooter, you might actually get to an 85 1.2. So I think that's the wider the aperture the more expensive these lenses get. And so whilst, for instance, an 85-1.8 might set you back, I don't know, 300, 400 pounds, maybe something like that, the 1.4 might actually set you back a grand or something like that. Um, but yeah. you can get amazing... Or more, yeah. And you can get Point amazing... Two. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well. Um, but you can get amazing images with the 1.8. I've been shooting the 1.8 absolutely forever. And again, nobody's ever asked, what lens do you shoot yeah. that with? The other thing is also, I never shoot at one point eight. I don't either. I shoot. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a really, you know, and and you can say like, oh, well, but the bokeh is much better. I know that I don't shoot bokeh. When I do the headshots, I've got a plain background. I'm not shooting bokeh. You know, right. All I need. Right. You know, it's so it's 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 actually it's fairly pointless. Again, it goes back to the 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 thing about being business savvy. Is it worth? investing that money into the business if the improvement is so marginal you know mm -hmm. is that right. worth that little bit of enhancement in the product in the final product 
is that really worth that amount of investment? And to my mind, it's just there's other factors that come into it, reliability and you know whether how solid the lens and all that. I know that there's there's no different things you get to consider, but but especially when you're starting out, you know you can get cheap 1.8, 85mm, or you know secondhand. You know we have a we have a thing um, over here called M MBP or MPP, can't remember. It's like a, it's like a secondhand photo thing, uh, great quality mm -hmm. lenses at a fraction of the you know the price. Um, mm -hmm. Totally worth it. That's exactly why I didn't yeah. get any about segment lenses. You know, I yeah. still have them. Also, it's another trick. Um, you mentioned newer generations of, of lenses. Of course, they're better. But a previous generation of lens will still do the trick because, you know, guess what? Mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, people used to create amazing photography with those mm -hmm. lenses. Yeah. So, you know, again, you can save a bundle by just, you know, by, by maybe buying an older lens secondhand. That's... To me, that's always been a great. Uh, in fact, my first set of studio lights were secondhand. They were absolutely terrible. I still have them somewhere. <laughs> I haven't used them in like ten years, but but they were absolutely just shocking. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, you couldn't even remote control them. You, they had you had to plug the cable into the camera. It was terrible. I don't. Mm, know. But yeah, so that's you know that's those are those are a few a few little tips that can help you out if you're just starting out and you don't have that particular lens. Um, mm -hmm. you know, then that can work. Yeah. And if you are using the uh, 70 200, um, you know, setting the millimeter like around the 91, 92, you know, point is what we you know, had learned to do. And, um, and that kind of gives you a, kind of a closer to the 85 millimeter um, look as well. Yeah. And you have to be so far even, away. Yeah. And even, you know, I use a 24 to 70 um, a lot mm -hmm. for portraiture. And um, of course, again, for those, for those of you listening um, or or watching, I've mentioned many times before. I do a thing called three heads in a row. All of that is shot is shot with um, with a very like this is all shot around twenty four to thirty mil. So it's a very wide focal length. Um, it will distort at that point, but that's that is the whole point with these portraits. I will them to distort because I want to yes. bring out this this sort of cartoonish kind of look. Not something. Oh. Hey, Kirsten, I love your three heads in a row. There, it's so fun to look at your three heads in a row. I just, I, I love your creativity and what you do with them. Those, the, I mean, it's so fun. If you haven't, you the watcher, if you haven't seen three heads in a row, you've got to go check it out. It is fantastic. Yeah, head over to um, Instagram at three heads in a row. Literally, three as in T H R W -E, heads in a row. Um, it's a fun little product, but I think it's a really good example, actually, um, when it comes to focal length, because the way that that project is shot is really the opposite end of how you would shoot a professional headshot. With a professional headshot, you don't want any distortion. Um, you want facial features to look natural, and you want the face to look proportional. In fact, you actually want to enhance those features if you can. Um, with a slightly more cartoonish stroke RT project like three S in a row, you actually have creative freedom <laughs> to create anything you want. And of course in this particular instance, I want the face to be distorted. I want I want it to look hyper real and cartoonish and funny and comical. And uh, wacky and, focal, and wacky, yeah. And the, the focal length is uh, plays a large role in that. You know, it's uh, of course it's the posing and everything else, but it's the focal length really 
takes it over the um, it takes it over the edge. I've seen people uh, try to emulate that look um, with using different focal lengths, and it's never worked. So it, it's really is a vital component in that. But yeah, so for headshots, you know, eighty five plus is is where I would say you know. So if if you have um, a twenty four to one ten, you know, type of lens. Uh, that's a zoom lens. Yeah, that'll work absolutely. You know, if you're like, if you're eighty five plus, that's going to work. Um, a, you know, a seventy two to hundred will work. Uh, eighty five is beautiful. Even and I just recently got a macro at one ten. I know, sorry, a one hundred five macro lens. Um, really nice lens. It's a macro lens, but it works extraordinarily well for portraits as well. So that's another. So if you already have a one hundred five hanging around. Just use that. Again, no need to necessarily invest into new blabs right there. Um, cool. Okay. So that's our lens choices. So we talked a little bit about lights. We talked about camera gear and lenses and stuff. Um, let's talk a little bit about marketing. So if I'm new to the headshot game and I want to, you know, and I've done all my practicing on all my neighbors and friends, <laughs> relatives, yes. children. That's exactly what I did at the time. Bye. Boundary exchanging. I will give you your headshot for your time to stand in front of my camera and do what I tell you to do. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, again, you know, we haven't stressed that before, but I must stress that. Like, you need to practice. You need to practice. And for that, you just need to get warm bodies in front of the camera. Yeah. That's all it, that's all it is. Doesn't matter who it is. Might be the guy who wants to shop down the road. You know, your sister, yeah. brother, dog, the person you shared a toaster with, you know, and during freshman or college or something, whatever, anybody. Yeah. Um, drag them in from, from outside. Um, because that's all you need to do is is practice. You don't need to practice your posing, your communication, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but once you've done that, and I have, I, I mean, my daughter, which is 12 now, I've practiced on her since she was five i think she's so used to being in front of the camera she literally sit there with her phone nowadays because everybody's good every kid has, has to have a phone she'll just right. sit there you know she just look up i take a photo and then as i'm reviewing the shot she's straight back on the phone and she goes watch straight back on the phone she's so used to this total pro <laughs> total pro that child that's great in fact she's getting to the point now she's getting to the age now where's the what did she ask me the other day she asked me uh she said like oh do you know? Do you know that video that we made in the in the pandemic, uh, where we did like we did we did a little video where we were recycling, and it was like uh, as part of a uh, of a video competition that we did the very early days of the of the podcast. She goes, like, "Can you delete that, please?" Or I quite it. Oh, do you want to delete that? And she goes, "Cool, because I don't want, I don't want my friends to see it." Ah, she's too cool now. Yeah, she's too cool. Like, you were six at a time. I mean, you were cool then, you know? Yeah. But Her friends don't think it was adorable. I know. The other day, she actually, she admitted to me. She goes like, oh, you know, um, you know my best friend. She started watching the Camera Shake podcast because she's really into photography. I'm like, oh, <laughs> right on. See, I must be clear. I, I love the voice you're doing for your daughter. That is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not exactly her voice. <laughs> but, uh, okay. but yeah, she's... She's like, um, you know, it's one of these things. It's it's just that age, you know, when they when they sort of hit teenage, then that's that's when all of a sudden these things become oh, yeah. You know, it's true. And you know what? Speaking of that, with uh, teenage and middle school kids, 
that's something where it it's an awkward phase of their life. And um, I've had the opportunity to uh, be a part of a, a program that um, did I did a two week internship with um, middle school um, kids who are, who are now like in their twenties. One of them, which she and I still stay in touch. And um, it photography, if you're trying to, you're you know, if your middle aged child like has no use for mom or dad, but they take great pictures with their phones. Encourage that photography part of them. That's a great way, you know, like, well, you do that on your phone. I wonder what you could do with a professional camera. And um, I, I had a, uh, a friend of mine, her son and cousin, I brought them on a photo walk that Bedford Cameron Video did. And the next time I saw her, she was like, I have to tell you, when I picked up my son from that photo walk, she's like, normally I pick him up from school or from some event and he doesn't really, you know, yeah, mom, it was fine. Oh, how'd it go? Oh, great. You know, one word answers. She was like, he had such a good time. He talked so much about what he did. And he was talking, he, he was talking a blue streak to me about this photography experience. And she was like, thank you so much. And so it's kind of, that has always stuck in my mind that that is a great avenue if you're trying to connect with your middle schooler and they have a, a little bit of a an edge towards photography, help them scratch that itch. And it's a great way to connect with your child. Exactly. And even, you know, because nowadays everybody takes photos with a smartphone. It's a sure. great way to get into photography. You know, um, you don't really need to necessarily buy all the gear. You can get started yeah. with a smartphone. Absolutely no problem, mm -hmm. you know. Um, cool. So we've talked about gear. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about marketing. So we'll, so, you yeah. know, we've decided we, um, we want to get into headshot photography. Uh, we've got the gear necessary. Maybe we've got some, you know, some uh, speed lights. Maybe we've invested into some better lights. Um, we've got a camera, we've got the right lens. How do we get the message out? Yes. You talk about it. You talk about it with everybody and anybody who's going to listen. Um, I personally, I don't um, pay for external advertising. What I do do is after I've had a headshot session and given the person a great experience, when I have the discussion with them, this is how I'm going to deliver your digital files to, to you. And it's going to be a, a, a link, a smug, I use smug mug, smug mug link where it'll have your images in that link. And I tell them, I describe this is what it's going to look like. I need the files with the square crop for web use. That's the one that will fit into any circle social media, um, you know, profile picture and then the, the high resolution versions. And then I let them know below that link, I'm also going to send you a link for a Google review. If you wouldn't mind filling that out for me, because I would say 75% of my customers find me, maybe 60, 60, yeah, I'm guessing. And they say, I just know that like all statistics are like made up on the spot, so I'm making it up. But for the most part, I do keep track. I could look at my data sheet, um, but the Google review is so helpful. That's how people find me. And the other day, somebody sent me a text of what, when they Googled headshot photography, this is what came up. There were three that came up and I was number two on the list. Number one had 12 Google reviews. I have 64 Google reviews, five, five star, five star reviews. They have 12 five star reviews. The other one below it, um, it, 
it was less it was less than 20 if i remember correctly um so when people look at that you may be the second one in the ranking but when they see those five-star Google reviews and the number of those, and then they start reading what people have said, that makes a difference. You're just going to ask for it. And not everybody does. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's important to mention it to them during the shoot, right? When, you know, they've had a great time. They've just paid the bill. And they're like, this has been amazing. And would you mind doing this? Oh, of course I would. So when you include that in the link with their gallery, there's a good percentage uh, chance that they're going to go ahead and fill that out for you. So exactly, and you can always ask again, you know, a little bit later if mm -hmm. they haven't, you know, if you if you realize what they haven't actually, you know, and left a review, you can always email them again a couple of weeks later and say, hey, by the way, um, you know, be amazing, yes. do that for me. Um, you know, you can you can also you come up with incentives. You can you give them a discount if they do it. So yeah, you could do. I mean, you, you know, if you're finding it hard to get people to, um, right. you know, to give you Google review, you could incentivize it. You know, you could basically say, okay, so next time, you know, if you leave me Google review, then next time maybe get ten percent off or fifteen percent off or whatever it may be. Um, that's another strategy that you can employ if you wanted to build up Google reviews. But the important, the important part is asking for it because I don't know how many times I've spoken to people and they said like, yeah, but you know, Google reviews don't really work because nobody ever leaves a Google review. They kind of go like, well, do you ask them? Because what I've found is when I started asking people, especially when they were, of course, when they were happy, you know, uh, with, with the product, then yeah, they, you know, a lot of the time they will. And, yes. you know, especially once, once you've got a few positive Google reviews on there and people see them, they're actually much more inclined to then also go ahead and, you know, and right. leave another review, for you, which is, <laughs> which, which is really useful. Um, yeah. Do you, do you use social media to get clients in the first place? Or how how do clients find you? Like, what do you, you know, um, a, a lot Google. Um, some is through Thumbtack. I used to use Thumbtack a lot more, and then they they changed up the whole process of it. And and now recently, I've just started getting a few um, inquiries through Thumbtack, um, and uh, as well as you know, Dusty Cash. He's one of the uh, immigrants on 1883, the spinoff from Yellowstone. He found me through Instagram. And so it's, you know, talking about it, you know, on the you know, Ivas, you know, Stugwork photo is where you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. And um, it's more so when you give people a really good experience, they talk about it. And my, um, when I have the authorization that I fill out, I give my clients 100% rights to the images, but I also have 100% rights to the images. And I, I get their address and I let them know, here's why I'm asking for your address. In the event that someone um, sees your headshot and you're like, do you tell them about the experience that you've had? Well, I like to send you a handwritten personal note thanking you. And sometimes I will, um, if somebody's referring a, um, a family member or a close friend of theirs, I'll let them know, you know, in my thank you note, I usually include like a $15 gift card to, these days it's Quick Trip, which is the local gas station that you can also get really 100% meat hot dogs that are fantastic. Just had them yesterday. <laughs> um, or $50 worth of gas. While it doesn't go as far as it used to, it still, uh, it still helps. But I'll let them know, hey, when I send you a thank you note, would you rather have uh, me send you this, this you know, small gift card as a token of my appreciation or if you would like to, 
your loved one that you're referring to me and they're working with me, would you like me to give them a $25 discount on their headshot session? Which would you like? And I mean, it's really, the, they so appreciate, they appreciate the gesture and then they get to, most of them in turn and in kind will say, oh, give, give that person, give so-and-so that discount. Yeah, that really, that is really helpful. So it's a great way for, um, them to kind of share in the experience that they just had and, and be kind to someone else. And this, you know, you, you've actually raised an interesting point there because you're talking about basically marketing after the fact that a lot of people, including myself for a long time, I've forgotten, completely forgotten to do that. Um, you know, your existing client base is actually uh, the the most powerful force in in generating new business for you. You know, yeah. it's, I know in, in the beginning when you first start out, you're going to have to, first of all, build that client base up. Sure. But what you do afterwards is vitally important because normally when we think of marketing, a lot of people, when, when they think of marketing, they think about the, the kind of front end of it. You know, they think like, okay, what do I have to do? Do I have to put like Facebook ads up or do I have to, you know, right. use social media and stuff? And all of that could be true, you know, uh, depending on depending on where you live and how, you know, how you do things. Um, you could rely on, you know, organic marketing. So you basically talk about it on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whatnot, you know, whatever you say, or LinkedIn, obviously yeah. for like for corporate. Which I need to do more with. Same, same. I've I've stayed away from LinkedIn for the longest time. I mean, out of a out of stability, and, and secondly, because I I just loathe the platform. Like you couldn't, if you tried, you couldn't come up with a more boring platform than LinkedIn. <laughs> I mean, it's so boring. But uh, creative did not come up with LinkedIn. It definitely no, a business not. person. Yeah, one hundred percent. But you know, if of course, if your main clientele is the corporate world, then it makes perfect sense because, you know, you want to advertise your wares wherever those people hang out and that's where they hang out. So, you know, right. and most likely not necessarily on Instagram. Unless you're, you know, advertising to to actors, for instance, then, although I've also found that LinkedIn was, has, has been quite useful for actors as well, but, yeah. you know, and agents and all the rest of it. But, you know, yeah. So there's the, the front end of your marketing um, and then, of course, there's the actual shoot and then there's the there's a backend marketing where you can, for instance, you can think of an incentive, you know, like giving somebody money off or a particular voucher or something, or just simply adding your former clients to a newsletter and, mm -hmm. and keeping them informed every so often. I'm not saying you're going to send out a newsletter every week. Sure. But, you know, every so often, it just mm -hmm. keeps you top of mind. So marketing is just known as top of mind strategy so that the next time they think about a photographer, your name pops up first. So whether they're thinking about photography for themselves or whether they're recommending somebody to somebody else or, you know, mm -hmm. you know, just by by sending out a newsletter every so often, could be once a month. You know, I know people who do yeah. several times a week. Jerry. <laughs> oh, always. <laughs> I guess. I, guess I love Jerry. Yes. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, um, and Joel, by the way, just saying that. Yes. That's the other one, but um, and Vanessa, that's what I all the time. But here's the thing: so you know, but if you're, you know, um, yeah. So if you once in a while you put a, put a newsletter together, maybe once a month or something, um, then then it just keeps your mind, you know, and well, that's like you can inform your former clients of special things that you've got going. You know, um, sure. the thing that I've got going at the moment is um, I'm planning uh, two days of 
of headshot mini sessions, which I normally never do. I do them specifically on two days in the year, and that is it. So there's only two days every year where I run mini sessions. Um, that's a special thing, um, yeah. which is meant for people who are just after one quick headshot. So it's a much shorter session, and it's very different from what I would normally do. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but it only happens once a year. And so I inform all of my former clients of that. Some um, are returning clients then, and they'll come back because they might want to update their headshots. Maybe they need a new one. Maybe they just need an additional one for LinkedIn, whatever it may be. And so, um, and it keeps them informed and that really drives some extra business my way. So that's what I found. Yeah. You know, come up with, yeah, look after your existing clients, um, keep <laughs> them informed, you know, keep in touch. Right. And that will also lead to more recommendations. True. You know? And and I think too, um, when you talk about it, having it um, kind of almost, you know, honing what you're, how you describe yourself. They're like, oh, well, what do you do? And then we, you know, we've all been in, what do you do? And then it's like, blah, blah, blah. You know, you kind of like, you can tune it out like Charlie Brown's parents. And, um, but here's, here's what I've, I've learned from uh, Sally Hogshead with How to Fascinate. When you're in the room with the best of the best, how do you stand out? And what you do is what's different. When you do something that's slightly different, that can help you stand out in the best of the best. And we know there are so many photographers. How do you stand out, you know? And if you're a person who's not an introvert or, or not an extrovert, but you're an introvert, well, we know that we can learn to do things. We're teachable. So I may need to learn to be a bit more extroverted and talk more about, you know, my headshot photography. I know one of the hurdles can be Maybe because you're starting out doing headshots, you don't feel very confident talking about it. Well, that's where, like you said, Kirsten, getting people in front of your camera, practicing with them. And and I tell you, I, I'm a complete goofball with my clients. And even if it's a CEO who's all very buttoned up, you can you can definitely get them you know to to crack up and uh, and just get them to kind of stop controlling their face because that's what, that's what happens they get in front of the camera and they think like I need to make my smile look good and you get this it's like that doesn't look good people no don't do that whatever you do with your face you need to stop doing that and really having conversation with your clients and and kind of getting you know just getting more comfortable with. You know, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Is it evoking genuine expression from your client? If you as the photographer are having fun with what you're doing, it's going to rub off on your clients. So, yeah. So if you're, you know, what's your shtick? What are you, how are you talking about your photography? You're kind of like, yeah, I, I do headshots. It's like, okay, you don't seem that excited about it. Yeah. It's, yeah, <laughs> no. it's, it's, it's absolutely right. Like doing things differently is, is really important. Um, a good example is actually just happened to me only uh, last the last week or the week before. I went to a networking meeting, like a, a local networking meeting where lots of um, small business owners come together and talk about their business, you know, and introduce sure. themselves to the local uh, business landscape. And uh, so there was a new meeting um, that I joined, and there were already two other photographers in this meeting. Um, okay. And it was interesting. So, you know, immediately I thought, like, okay, we're going to have to do something different. Everybody gets like a minute or two to introduce themselves. And so I thought, like, okay, so I was listening to the other two photographers. And, of course, you know, they're doing the standard things. Like, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I shoot this, and I shoot that, and I shoot the other thing. 
And I thought, you know, okay, well, I can do the same thing. And I could say, hi, my name is Kirsten, and I shoot this and that and the other, uh, which is probably be kind of the same thing that these people shoot, right? And then I thought, well, you know, I'm going to do it the other way around. I want to tell people what I don't shoot. So, you know, I literally went and said, like, you know, hi, my name is Kirsten, Kirsten Plus Photography. You know, let me tell you what I don't shoot. I don't shoot weddings. I don't shoot flowers. I don't shoot pets. <laughs> what I do shoot, you know, is da-da-da. And so immediately you had people's attention. And so the interesting thing about that yes. was I remember having conversations afterwards where, where people came up to me and said, like, oh, this is really interesting. You know, um, there, was a, there was a nice twist telling us what you don't do as opposed to leading with what you do. Now, what I actually do may not necessarily be that different from what the other branding photographer does, but people will remind, uh, oh, sorry, people will remember um, my presentation more because I did something different from what the others did. And that's key. And, you know, again, you know, just mentioning networking meetings, networking meetings can be absolutely worth their wedding gold. Um, yes. Especially if you're servicing, if you're servicing the, the business sector, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's a long-term investment. So it's, it's like one of these things, it's a marathon, not a sprint, to say. You know, if you go to yeah. a networking meeting, maybe a local chamber of commerce or something, um, mm -hmm. and you expect to get business from that straight away, that's a pretty hard sell. Usually yeah. you need to build up relationships over time and eventually months, maybe even years down the line, all of that will pay back. But uh, it's, it's yeah. again, in the beginning, it's a useful thing to do. Perfect. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. I think we've addressed a number of um, of questions when it comes to, you know, starting out a new career in headshot photography or just adding that to your portfolio if, you know, if you want to do it as a, as a side hustle. Um, Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, sure. And if, um, if anyone, you know, if they wants to talk, DM me on Instagram. I'll, I'll reply to you. If anyone wants to, wants to talk about my journey or any questions about what we've talked about here, um, go ahead. Instagram's a good, great place to get a hold of me. Just DM me and uh, happy to, uh, to help in any way that I can. Absolutely. And all the links will be in the description of this podcast, no matter whether you're listening to the audio version or whether you're watching it on YouTube. You'll find all the links in the description. Okay, folks, that's it for today. It was awesome having Pam on the show. I've certainly learned a ton of things that will help me up my headshot game in the future. Um, and as always, before we go, let me just recommend another episode that I think you'll like. Check out episode 55 from the early days of the Camera Shake podcast with Peter Hurley, where we deep dive even more into the art of the headshot. I'm sure you will absolutely love it. If you enjoy our content, consider supporting us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash camera shake to help us continue creating and bring you more exciting episodes. It really does mean the world to us. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, did you know that there's a fully fledged video version over on YouTube with plenty of examples of our guest photography in full Technicolor? All you have to do is go over to YouTube, search for Camera Shake Podcast, and you'll be able to watch all past episodes on there. And if you're already on YouTube, then drop us a comment, hit the like button, ring that bell, and share with your friends your engagement helps us reach a wider audience all over the world. Thank you so much for listening and watching. And remember, a new episode drops every Thursday, so make sure you mark that in your calendars. Until next time, keep shaking things up in the world of photography. See you next Thursday. Bye.